All right, guys, as promised, man, I've been looking forward to this all week. Uh, one, one of my idols growing up, and I got to spend quite a bit of time with him down in Austin, Texas. We did a little bit of Q&A on stage at Coda, and we finally got him around to uh, sit stationary long enough to get him right here on Stacking Pennies. Mark the Kid Martin, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining Hey, it's great to be with you, man. Man, we were just talking before we jumped, fired up the old Zoom here, and Ryan Pit Road Boats and Woes analyst here said that he dumped Matt Martin, your kid, in New Smyrna uh, when they were 12 years old. So I'm glad that you put that put the past the past and were able to come on the show today. <laughs> well, it wasn't the first time Matt had gotten spun out, so uh, it wasn't a memorable experience because I don't even remember it. So uh, that was uh, that's probably a good thing. So. You're doing a podcast now on NASCAR.com. It's called uh, Mark, the Mayor, and Mamba. I don't know if that was the correct order or not. Some some combination of the three. How is that just actually kind of getting plugged back in and talking about the sport that you love? Well, the, the concept behind it really, Corey, was to kind of bring in some of the – there's such a thirst um, in, in our sport today for the, 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 the 90s, 80s and 90s, you know, vintage of, of racing and – so our idea was to kind of bring in some of the old school, cool stuff that happened and kind of relate it to what's going on today. Because a lot of things that are going on today that fans think are the first time that we've ever seen this happen, you know, it's happened uh, in the past multiple times. So, you know, it's a lot of fun being on with Jeff Burton and Mama Smith does a fabulous job on there as well. And, uh you know, everybody should check it out. We're uh, we're really getting our feet under us now, and and uh, having a lot of fun with it. Man, you your career spanned. I, I don't even have it in front of me. For, but besides just forty wins, forty nine Xfinity wins. I know when I was a little kid watching any Xfinity race, my dad was in that sixty win Dixie car was always oh. about a straightaway ahead of everybody else. And I was wondering why that car was so much faster than everybody. Uh, lo and behold, it was probably because the guy holding the wheel on that thing was uh, fast, but. What I was getting at is is your career spanned from the early 80s, even late 70s, all the way through the 2000s. And what was some of the biggest things that you noticed change and continue to change in our sport? Well, I mean, I think one of the bigger changes, I think, was uh, from bias fly tires to radial tires. Um, some of the things, some of the driving characteristics that you're dealing with today with the, you know, the next gen, we experienced the exact same thing when we started having started racing on radial tires. You know, you went from being able to slip the car, you know, three, four, five, six degrees and hold it there to, you know, if you stepped it out more than a, a degree or so, you spun like a top. And uh, that was uh, something to really get your arms around. That was as big a change, I think, as is going to cool binding um or you know anything that we did through the years uh the one thing that stayed consistent was the incredible racing you know it never really mattered how the cars evolved how the aerodynamics evolved uh, or the setups or anything else uh, you know we just always had great racers and i got i had the opportunity to race with what i consider some of the greatest wheel holders in history and it goes all the way back to I, I raced with Richard Petty and I raced with David Pearson and AJ Foyt and uh, you know some of the incredible greats and then 
of course, you know, uh, uh, Dale Earnhardt and, uh, uh, you know, the greats like that, Jimmy Johnson and Tony Stewart. Um, so was there, Mark, was there one that stood out over the rest? They, they stood out for different reasons. So they stand out in different ways. Like for me, Tony Stewart was the most incredible wheel man, uh, you know, that in many ways, because he was the modern day AJ Foy, uh, like what we're seeing now from, you know, uh, from Kyle Larson, you know, uh, but of course, Bill Earnhardt, he just beat you with a slower car and that just pissed you off. Um, you know, Richard Petty for how great an ambassador he was for the sport and with the fans. So, you know, there were the, all these different guys. And I'll tell you another race car driver that I'd raced with that was uh, incredible that would beat you with a slower car. And that was Larry Phillips, very much like Dale Earnhardt. Uh, Larry was so crafty and so incredible, uh, you know, in traffic. And many of the races when I raced with him, uh, they inverted the field. So he and I would start at the back of a 20 lap, 25 lap feature, and he'd be leading by lap two, and I'd be about halfway through the pack. So um, it was, uh, you know, it was just an incredible time to be a race car driver in the era that I was. I mean, uh, any any race car driver would be jealous to race against those guys you did at that at that time. That was definitely. Um, a, a awesome era to be in the sport. Now, when I when we were talking uh, at Coda for a bit, man, I'm always intrigued by how guys scratch the competitive itch once they get done hanging it up because it's such a fire that burns to keep you motivated when you're in the seat trying to get better. And you said you don't even have an itch anymore. You just like hanging out. I do. Um, I'm very, very cautious to enter into anything that has any competition associated with it. I really won't play cards. If, if the family gets together and play cards, I, I, I don't want to play cards because I, I know I try to have to protect myself. I want to win and I will stop at nothing and I will work forever. And I'll just, that's why I won't golf, man. I'm scared to death that I'll get hooked on golf. If I started golfing, I'd be on the golf course every single day. And I'd work till my feet, you know, were blistered trying to get good at it. That's just the way I am. So I really enjoy this, this uh, chapter of my life, if you will, that I just don't have that kind of pressure. Um, and, and, and I don't push my, I, I push myself to stay in shape. I push myself to step outside the box and do some different things that I might not normally do, but I just really enjoy not being competitive. So when you watch a NASCAR race, when you flip one on on Sunday afternoon, are you watching it as a race fan? Are you watching it as somebody that was used to do it and is in like inserting yourself on how you would handle a certain situation? So I, I watch it as a race fan, and that's one of the problems with uh, you know broadcasting for me. I, I don't think I would be a good. I wouldn't be that good in the booth because I watch as a fan and I internalize and I, I think a lot. I can't do, do two things at once. So I can't think about something and talk at the same time. And I just think I'd be a terrible broadcaster, but I'm a pretty doggone good fan. And every once in a while, if somebody's watching with me, I'll explain to them why, you know, someone made the decision they did or didn't or 
why they shouldn't have made the decision that they might have made or whatever. Uh, but for the most part, I'm just a happy fan. I remember when I was uh, working on the 14 car and you came and drove for us when Tony broke his leg there. And just, you know, you being in the gym and how hard you were going in the gym. I don't know if that was part of the deal to come over there that you had access to the gym, but I was like, man, I am not as tapped in as this guy, especially on the physical side. I was, I was pretty impressed with that, but you still have a reach in the sport today. We know that you had a lot to do with, with Joey Logano. And it's funny that we're going to Atlanta this weekend. Cause I've heard a story about you uh, running an ASA car there uh, for the Logano family, something to do with a restrictor plate. I don't know what the uh, statute of limitations are there. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a lot to that. And I don't know if the story's ever been told, but, um anyway the long story short the car was so slow that we were super concerned about not making the race so there might have been a, just a little bit of cheating going on there uh i promised uh, i promised not to win the race but uh certainly didn't want to make a race so um talking about logano and atlanta that's the first place i saw him race i saw him race a legend car 10 years old and i swear I said that night that he would be a NASCAR champion that I, he, he drove that car, those cars handle so bad. And he drove it against the adults, all the grownups and beat the grownups and was just absolutely unbelievable. And I was his biggest cheerleader, you know, all the way up through the ranks and tried to help him every way I could, uh, you know, open doors or whatever I might be able to do to, to help him, you know, build his career and make it to the top level. Who do you find yourself pulling for nowadays? You think? Well, I was, I was pulling for Reddick, uh, you know, on, on Sunday. And I was, I was also pulling for Reddick, uh, at Bristol and I was crushed that he, uh, you know, didn't manage to, to get that checkered there. Uh, I'm not, you know, an old, I mean, Tyler Reddick's not my man and only my man. I mean, I, I just love watching Reddick and Larson and Chastain because they do things with the race car that most race car drivers can't do. And that really is a treat for, for us race fans. And especially for me, because I, I have an eye, I can see, I know how difficult it is. And I know that you're talking about the greatest race car drivers uh, you know, stock car drivers there are out there on a Sunday. And for, for those three guys to be able to put on a show like they are able to do from time to time is a real special treat. Now, I don't mean to leave Kyle Busch out of that because Kyle and Kurt both uh, can do some absolutely incredible things with their cars. Um, but you see less of that today. Uh, you see more of it from a young driver and the more experience that young driver gets, you see some less of it as it goes on because usually, you know, it winds up and bites you along the way and and uh, you learn to, to temper it somewhat and maybe not put it out there every single lap and only do it when it's really necessary. What do you miss about it, if anything? I miss the people. Um, that were my family. Uh, that's... Uh, you know, I miss the garage area, going in the garage area and being around the uh, people that were like-minded, um, that loved and had a passion for stock car racing. Um, and 
you know, we shared that and, and it felt like a family. So I miss that. I miss the fans. Um, I, I, I really miss being good at something. I mean, really miss that. And I don't know if you can identify with that yet, but I wasn't, I was a guy that was not worth a dang at anything until I started driving a race car. And there's just nothing more euphoric than to walk out of a garage area at the end of a day and look up at that lighted scoreboard and see your car number on top. And I'm gonna mean, I mean that. I, I have flashbacks burned into my memory of walking out of the Phoenix garage uh, or walking you know, out of um, Daytona or whatever and seeing my car number on, on the top of the scoreboard even if it was a practice day or if it was qualifying or if it was a race or whatever, I miss being good at something. Now, the one thing uh, I'll never be good at something like I was good at that. Uh, and, and I know that, and I've, I've come to grips with that, but the one thing, you know, that I do with the motor home motor coach thing, the high end motor coach thing, when I go into a high end motor coach resort where there is a whole lot of, gear-headed, uh, high-end motor coach owners that have a passion for them and for the engines and for the, you know, the paint and all those things. There, I feel comfortable kind of like I did, you know, at, you know, garage area. So I, I, I get a little bit of that from, from that, but I miss the fans and I miss the, the racers. You mentioned the, those images burned into your brain, whether it's walking out of Phoenix and seeing, the whatever number you're driving six five uh 55 all of them you were successful in if there is a is there a memory or a couple memories over the entire nascar career that like find their way to the top more often yes that's 2009 phoenix um you know my, my last win was 05 um and i didn't get one in 06 in the six car and I thought that I would probably never win another race. Um, I got in that old one car and had the near miss at, at Daytona, um, the first race out of the box. And we had some real near misses in the eight car um, the next year. But I just started really, you know, Rick Hendrick came at me twice and I turned him down twice to come drive for him. And the third time he came at me, I just really wanted to taste that one more time. I just wanted to win one more race. And so I talked it over with Arlene and, and we made the deal to come back. And about the fifth race was Phoenix where we sat on the pole and won the race. And I got to tell you, there's just, uh, everybody who, means anything to me in motorsports came to victory lane. I mean, you know, uh, Jack Roush and all my teammates at Hendrick motorsports and all my teammates from Roush racing and, you know, Jeff Burton and just the, all the people that I really, really, really respect. And that was just the most memorable win of my career because it was, you know, it was, it was as fulfilling as my first win was back in 1989. Man, that's that's cool. I, you're probably on the short list of guys that have told Rick Hendrick not once but twice that they don't want to drive for him. <laughs> what goes into that? 
Well, I did. You know, he. I told him both the first two times. I said, "Oh, I'll come. I'll, I'll run twenty-four races." And he said, "No, uh, you know, we need you full time." And I'm, I'm like, "I won't do it. No, I'll, I'll drive at twenty-four races." And so it was, you know, it was, it was no the first two times, and then finally uh, the third time, I just, you know, I just had that daydreaming of of, of winning a race and. Um, but to jump around just a little bit, uh, talking about the competitive thing, I'm going to get a little taste of that uh, in next next weekend. Uh, I'm going to be crew chiefing for the Montana 200 for uh, Daniel uh, Die. So you know, I think uh, that's going to be fun. Travis Sharp up here has some great late models, and he's going to have three late models for there for the for the uh, for the 200. And I was going to go to the race anyway. And uh, he needed help. And I really, I go to his race shop whenever I need to borrow a welder or, or any kind of fabricating. I, I go up to his race shop and, and, uh, and, and use his shop. So I just thought, well, heck, I, I'll help you. As long as you tell me what to do, I, I can strategize part of it. I just don't know how to, you know, set the car up. So uh, it's going to be fun hanging out with the late models all weekend. Next Gosh. Weekend. I love that. 40 cup wins, and my man's still throwing a headset on crew chief and late model. Travis Sharp, fun fact. Uh, Travis Sharp, I won at Rockingham three times in a late model, and Travis Sharp was crew chief for two of them. So Travis definitely knows what he's doing, but I'm sure you can teach him a couple tricks. Before I let you go, Mark, i got two questions that I ask every guest on the show. One, if you had to pick one race car and one racetrack to race at the rest of your life, what do you go with? Dover. Um and it would be a cup car at Dover, and it it would probably it probably be that number eight car. Um, I we were so ridiculous fast there. We didn't win the race because we had a lot of trouble on pit road. But every time I'd go in for a pit stop from the lead, I'd come out about twelfth and pass a car a lap and get back to the lead. But it'd be the eight car at Dover. Intr- I, I would not have thought that. I would not have thought that. Interesting choice out of the kid. Last question, I'll let you go. Thanks for your time so much, Mark. Number two, what is the most embarrassed you've ever been to a racetrack? You don't, you cannot say when you pulled off one when the race wasn't over at Bristol. That's <laughs> low-hanging fruit. Low-hanging fruit. What's your second most embarrassing moment? Dude, I haven't been embarrassed compared to that. <laughs> I, I guess that was pretty good. That, that one's a pretty embarrassing moment for sure on national yeah. television. Yeah, I was, I, and I just told recently told Matt this, you know, I, I could take it, you know, I, I manned right up to it and, and, uh, you know, admitted how dumb I was and everything else. But I was embarrassed that my son had a, a father that was that dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it, it bothered me more for my son than it did myself. Dang. Oh. Well, at least you recovered a bit for the rest of your career after that moment. So I'll give you that. Everybody makes a mistake. Now, shame, give your give your podcast a shameless plug here, Mark, so people can go nowhere to go find you every week. Yeah, that's Mark Mamba and the mayor on uh, NASCAR.com. Uh, check it out. And also, if you have any interest in any given particular year on uh, MarkMartinPod.com, I've, I have every single year I raced year by year so you can start it anywhere or if you want to hear about the crazy cup car that i built and ran five races in 1981 and set on two pole in the third race i entered a set on the pole and all that stuff just go directly to 1981 and it'll tell all about those details so 
check that one out as well. Love that. Mark, appreciate you as always. Hopefully see you around in person soon. Thanks for joining Stack and Penny. Yeah, it's my pleasure, man. Keep up the good work, guys. I'm trying.